It's a sunny spring morning. You're driving your car. Or more accurately, your car is driving you. Guided by cameras and sensors, you're a passenger in the driver's seat. Your vehicle is navigating the traffic, stopping at red lights, slowing down at pedestrian crossings. You recline the seat a bit, maybe scrolling through the headlines or catching up on your favourite TV show. You're keeping one eye on the highway ahead of you, but there's no need to worry. There's a sophisticated set of algorithms working here, so you don't have to. Except that is for when they don't work. Up ahead, an 18-wheel truck has turned a sharp left. It's crossing the highway. It's one of those big cross-country monsters with a trailer attached to the back. The morning sun bounces off the truck, reflecting off the white paint, shining straight back at you. It's too bright. The cameras can't see past the glare. The sensors can't detect it. The car doesn't stop. What you just heard actually happened in May last year, in a Tesla automated car. The driver, a 40-year-old man, was killed when his car collided with a truck. The car was in autopilot mode at the time. As robots grow more sophisticated and we interact with them more in our everyday lives, accidents are bound to happen. Where do we draw the line between machine error and human error? When people get hurt, who takes the blame? Think Digital Futures, I'm Ellen Leibeter, and that Tesla car crash was the first ever fatality involving an automated vehicle. The driver's death sparked a blame game that left researchers and investigators struggling. Was it the driver's fault for not paying attention to the road ahead? Or was it the manufacturer's fault for developing an algorithm that didn't see the truck coming? We're going to be taking a closer look at this case a little later on, At the centre of all this is a big question. How do we regulate robots? This is producer Shane Anderson. When it comes to robots in the courts, things get complicated because in order to be recognised, first, robots need a legal status. Probably the easiest way to think of this is to understand how companies are currently recognised under the law. So a company is obviously managed by humans, but every time something goes wrong, you sue the company, not the managing director. Because who would put their hands up to manage a company if they're going to be sued by shareholders on a regular basis? Right. So a company is treated as a separate legal entity with all the powers and capabilities of a person. But the key thing here is a company can sue and be sued just like a person can. So when something goes wrong with a robot or artificial intelligence, who are you suing? How do you recognise robots under the law? Well, this is the question. One option is to give robots personhood status. Researcher Gary Lee from the Australian National University explains. Personhood is a concept that's been kicking around since the 1980s. It's the notion that you can grant robots or artificial intelligence systems a status analogous to that of a human being so that these systems would enjoy legal rights and some kind of protection under the law. But that doesn't automatically make every robot a person. I'm not going to be charged with manslaughter if I drop my phone, am I? No. Actually, even given all the technological advances in robotics over the past few years, we're still a long way off robots being sentient enough to act of their own accord. 
The consensus is that there's two types of artificial intelligence. There's artificial narrow intelligence, which robots have now, and artificial general intelligence, which robots would need to become a person. Gary Lee explains the difference. The general goes to the competence that a system has across all the various domains of tasks that it might carry out. Humans have a very general, flexible, plastic kind of intelligence, but currently machines don't really have that. So, for example, AlphaGo, the system that was devised by Google DeepMind, is extremely good at playing Go, but put a chessboard in front of it, it couldn't do it. Basically, the system would have to be torn down and restarted from scratch in order to learn how to play chess. So what does a robot with person status look like? According to Gary, a sentient robot would take on characteristics we see as human. It would feel things that we recognise as pain, and it might even be aware that it's a robot. But as for when we might see a robot like this, experts are undecided as to how long we might have to wait for this type of robotics to become a reality. There are some who are saying that uh, artificial general intelligence or, you know, full-spectrum full robotic capacity may never emerge. There's still a, a substantial minority. The consensus figure that's emerging, probably looking at about sort of middle of the century. Teresa Vidal-Kaleja is a researcher at the Centre for Autonomous Systems at the University of Technology, Sydney. She says developing artificial intelligence is a monumental task. How many systems govern your body? Uh, we cannot replicate all those systems in a robot. We cannot even emulate just the human vision. The human brain is the most advanced computer in the known universe. That's pretty difficult to replicate. Exactly. But it's not impossible. The trick is figuring out how to program adaptation. If you can program something to adapt to a situation, then it can learn and behave in unexpected ways. And this is how a machine becomes autonomous. Here's Teresa again. The robot will learn by trial and error. For instance, let's say navigate in a small office. So you can put the robot and let it bump into every single wall, let's say some uh, sensor that allows it to recognize a wall when it bumps into it. So it will bump a million times and eventually will see, oh, okay, so I shouldn't go there because every time I go there, I bump. Those things you, are, you didn't program. The robot learn how to navigate in that four-wall room. In this case, it will be expected that the robot don't bump into that wall but where it's going to go, that's something we don't know. We still have a long way to go before robots reach the level of artificial intelligence where they can be responsible for their own actions. This is something that may not even happen. So what's the point of regulating something that might not eventuate? Well, as we're going to see with the Tesla case, if we wait for an accident to happen and then react, we won't be prepared for it. And we could end up setting a precedent that hurts us. First of all, you could say, well, you know, these things might never even happen, so why bother at all? But flipping it around, I think one has to be prepared for the possibility that it might happen. And also within that, we're not quite sure when. The nature of scientific and technical breakthroughs is sometimes things can happen very quickly and these things can snowball and cascade. If you're going to be cautious about things, caution would dictate that you, you start looking into these matters ahead of time rather than trying to play catch up later Europe on. Europe is already taking steps to create a legal framework for robots and AI. It's called the Delvaux Report, and its author is Maddie Delvaux. She's a member of the EU Parliament from Luxembourg and the vice chair on the Committee for Legal Affairs. I was newly elected in 2014, and I didn't know anything about robotics. 
So I, I thought this was an, uh, the topic of the future because when you look closer to it, you see that uh, the robotics industry is very innovative. I personally, after two years, I have been working on it. I believe that robots will come and they will touch on all the aspects of our life. The report has been submitted to the EU Commission, meaning that for the next three months, it will be under consideration by representatives from the 28 European member states. That's a lot of countries. That is. There's a lot of conflicting opinions. But one thing they can all agree on is the need to develop rules that control the way artificial intelligence is integrated into our social lives. Up to now, you had robots in industry, but the new robots, they will interact with humans, so there are many new questions. How we will interact and how we will use robots to be to bring benefits to all the humans. So this is the challenge of the future, I believe. One of their proposals to bridge the gap between now and a time when robots can become persons is the idea of an e-personality. The possibility to give a certain responsibility to the robot like you have uh, with, uh, for companies. A company has a personality that does not mean that it is a human being. So uh, this is for the purpose of uh, defining responsibility. So if a self-learning machine actually hurts someone, does that mean the company who made it would be at fault? Well, not necessarily. Actually, Maddie says opinion is divided in the EU over whether the company should shoulder the blame. But the Delvaux report reckons that not only should companies shoulder the blame, but they should prepare for this by having something like an insurance pool. Here's Gary. Something that's come out in the recent EU report is a system of so-called no-fault liability, where there is an insurance pool which victims of accidents are compensated out of. Um, It's similar to the no-fault compensation scheme that already operates in New Zealand for certain types of personal injury. Wow, New Zealand, always ahead of the pack. But where would the money for this scheme come from? The Delvaux report has that covered too. They reckon it should be funded by a robot tax. Robots paying taxes? Sort of. The idea of a robot tax has been kicking around for a while. A robot tax is basically a way of making sure companies are compensating for the social and economic impact of their work. And it's not just for injury compensation. Have a listen to Bill Gates talking to Quartz Media about what a robot tax could look like. Right now, if a human worker does you know, $50,000 worth of work in a factory, that income is taxed. If the robot comes in to do the same thing, you'd think that we'd tax the robot at a similar level. What the world wants is to take this opportunity to make all the goods and services we have today and free up labor, let us do a better job of reaching out to the elderly, having smaller class size, helping kids with special needs. You know, all of those are things where human empathy and understanding are, are still very, very unique. And we still deal with an immense shortage of people to help out uh, there. And so if you can take the labor that used to do the thing automation replaces, and both financially and training-wise and fulfillment-wise, have that person go off and do these other things, you're net ahead. But you can't just give up that income tax because that's part of how you've been funding that level of human workers. Some of it can come on the profits that are generated by the labor-saving efficiency there. Some of it can come directly in some type of robot tax. You know, I don't think the robot companies are going to 
gonna be outraged that there might be a tax. So it's a tax that companies pay because they're using robotics over human labor. Doesn't sound like something manufacturers will actually want to pay though. Not at all, but it is one possible solution. Gary Lee puts it roughly on the same level as the universal basic income. Yes, it's viable. Whether it will actually fix the problem is hard to say. It's a possibility, but at the moment, as you would understand, industry is fighting very, very hard on that one. Um, There has been some kickback and some economists are, are not very happy with the idea either. Then I'm still wondering, how do we regulate the future when we're still not sure what it's going to look like? Just words. Finding the line between free speech and protecting the vulnerable. You can't say or do anything anymore, otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts. Why is this the pressing issue of our time? Just Words is an original 2SER series. This new podcast goes beyond the hype and headlines of our race discrimination laws and gets the true stories from those that have used 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act those that have had it used against them. New episodes will be released every Monday, starting from February 27. To listen, just head to iTunes or your favourite podcast app and search for Just Words. Subscribe today. You're listening to Think Digital Futures, and today you're hearing all the different ways robots and artificial intelligence could be regulated. It's got a lot of people scratching their heads, mainly because we don't have a crystal ball to predict just how much this tech will evolve. But what if I told you that we do? All right, you floored me. Bear with me. The thing is that the further into the future the Delver report goes, the more it draws on the past. When we start thinking about how to regulate robots and AI that have reached human sentience, there's actually already a set of laws in place, and they've been in place for quite a while. Really? They're called the Three Laws of Robotics, and they were invented by a guy called Isaac Asimov. He wrote science fiction. So we're literally taking inspiration from science fiction novels. That's what it's come to. Asimov first came up with the laws in 1942. He passed away 25 years ago, but this is him describing them. The first law is as follows. A robot may not harm a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given it by qualified personnel unless those orders violate rule number one. In other words, a robot can't be ordered to kill a human being. Uh, Rule number three, a robot must protect its own existence After all, it's an expensive piece of equipment. Uh, Unless that violates rules one or two. A robot must cheerfully go into self-destruction if it is in order to follow an order or to save a human life. That makes sense. It's basically a set of ethics designed to ensure the robots we create are programmed to protect us. And these are in the Delvo report? Yes. The Delvo report wants Asimov's laws to work as a code of ethics for designers and manufacturers – 
but these laws tend to pop up whenever you're dealing with robot ethics because they're just so well thought out. But actually putting them into practice is tricky. Here's Gary again. The difficulty with Asimov's laws, as the report itself actually makes clear, is that actually formalising those and operationalising those as, as working sets of instructions for machines is very, very difficult. For an autonomous machine to do something simple like not bump into a wall takes hundreds of thousands of lines of code. Programming morals into a machine is another thing entirely. And that's not all. The other thing that often gets forgotten about Asimov's laws is that when he was writing the stories, he often set up things that would break or bypass the laws or show how, how there could be unintended consequences of those laws. And indeed, for many machine researchers today, that is one of the big problems. If you're trying to formalise goals or rules of behaviour for machines, often there can be unintended consequences. No matter how much you try to program for every possible situation, there will always be unintended consequences. Asimov wrote the laws of robotics knowing that there was a huge grey area and most of his stories sit in that space. Like Frankenstein's monster, you can design something to be perfect, but when you're dealing with things that are supposed to think for themselves, stuff happens that you can't account for. And this takes us back to where we began. That sunny spring morning, the Model S Tesla car. What happened next? Well, everyone started pointing fingers at each other. Tesla released a statement saying it was the driver's fault for not paying attention to the road. A US National Highways and Transport Safety Agency report also blamed the driver, especially after a witness account came out saying that he was watching a Harry Potter movie at the time of the crash. But wait, the autopilot didn't pick up on the trailer, but it was the human's fault? The sensors failed. Doesn't the company have to take some responsibility for making sure its sensors detect dangers on the road? Look, getting a straight answer to these questions is really what the regulation debate is all about. It's what the Delvo report is for. Without accountability, there's no responsibility. Gary says the Tesla incident is a forerunner for the types of situations we'll be facing when cars are fully automated. A driver of a, what they call a level one, level two automated vehicle is still in charge of that vehicle. It's not fully automated. And this is a point that Tesla have made. Fully automated vehicles, those that take automation right the way through to just, you know, someone plumbing in the destination and taking it to there, won't be available probably until sometime in the early 2020s. The 2020s aren't that far away. Who will be responsible when a fully automated car crashes? That's something we just don't know yet. Teresa says there will always be a situation that can't be accounted for. Imagine a driverless car hit a dog. Who are you going to blame for, right? Are you going to blame the owner of the car, the company who developed the car, the engineer behind the algorithms that fail and run into the dog? In Australia, laws are already changing to prepare for driverless cars. Gary says even though driverless cars aren't in Australia yet, it shows our government is thinking about the need to prepare for them. At the moment, the notion of road rules is built around the concept of the driver. So what the report essentially did was survey all of the existing road regulations and say, right, in order to accommodate vehicles which do not have a driver in the traditional sense, what has to be changed? And they reckon there was something like 212 
sets of road rules that had to be changed. But what about intelligence that controls other things, like planting seeds on farms or looking after elderly people? What happens if this intelligence fails? What if they plant the wrong seeds or give the wrong medication or any number of other unintended consequences? What about copyright and intellectual property? Or privacy? There are so many things to consider. Europe is leading the way, but robotics and artificial intelligence are going to impact us here too. We don't need to wait for Europe to decide to start asking questions ourselves. This is the beginning of a debate. It's the start. It is not the end. We will have many occasions to discuss on it. But I think it's about preparing the future. Thanks to producer Shane Anderson for that story. This has been Think Digital Futures, a program supported by 2SER and the University of Technology, Sydney. If you'd like to find out more about the show, visit 2SER.com forward slash Think Digital Futures. I'm Ellen Leibeter. See you next week.